0: The Environmental Protection Agency re-approved several pesticides for use in the United States on October 23rd of last year. One of those pesticides is paraquat, a chemical known to increase the risk of Parkinson's disease. I'm Lee Levy, co-founder of Nanato Media, and this is In Camera Podcast, where we advocate for a ban of this toxic chemical. podcast private legal marketing conversations great welcome back hi liel how are you i'm great grace just like you having a very busy week a uh, week full of events as well and it's exciting but at the same time you know i kind of been looking forward to this day which is the friday before the bank holiday weekend a so we can have this conversation b isn't it a great feeling when you are just heading into a long holiday weekend and you're pretty much at the office without that many distractions, just trying to wrap up things so you can leave and have peace of mind, even if it's just for three days?
1: Seriously, I know, right? And especially, I think, after the year that we've all had, kind of looking forward to Fourth of July and fireworks and I have to admit, I went a little crazy on the fireworks side this year.
0: Oh, Grays, be careful.
1: No, no, all safe, always safe. Okay, Um, I'm sure you are. We have a location that is very open field, no trees, no houses, nothing. It's something I do every year with my family. Um, And, you know, of course, everyone's behind uh, far away from where it actually gets shut off, and like yeah. I said, I've been, I've been doing this pretty much since I was younger um, with my parents, and then now that I'm older and I have you know my kid and my family and my sister, we all shoot off fireworks um, as adults, of course, not the kids. Um, they can stand <laughs> in the back with the sparklers and you know little poppets and things like that while we shoot off mortars. Yeah, so, yeah. God, sounds like
0: fun. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna search for the video in YouTube, Crazy Fireworks in Florida, fourth of July. And then I'll see your fireworks probably come up. So, uh, Grace, yeah, you're right. I think 4th of July has always been, since the beginning of the year, kind of like that milestone we were hoping to get to, right? In a sense of like, we were promised that by 4th of July, we would be back to normality. And quite frankly, in many ways, we have, right? In some others, we're still catching up. But I must say that I think we've all feel very uh, appreciative and grateful of how far we've come from where we were, for instance, a year ago um, in terms of going back to normality. And that's a great feeling. And I think something that uh, in most people doesn't get lost, right? I think we're still, memory is very fresh still of what went on last year. And I think, you know, this 4th of July, we're probably going to be extra appreciative of that freedom to celebrate. So Grace, With that said, I also have to acknowledge that this podcast is going to get published right after 4th of July, or while we're still celebrating the 4th of July, and many listeners will listen to it after they're actually finished up their holiday weekend. So they're going to be like, why am I listening now about all of those great feelings that you have right before the bank holiday, when in fact, I'm listening to this when I have to deal with everything back at the office after a bank holiday. And We hear you. We empathize. We probably feel exactly the same way this time that you're listening to the podcast. So, Grace, we have an exciting conversation today. And I say exciting because it's been a topic that we've been coming and going from it for the entire year uh, several times. And so we're going back to mass torts. And we're going to talk about a very, very particular one which has been kind of a lot at the center of our conversations this, as I've said, past year, and that's PowerQuad. And so, Grace, can you tell me a little bit and help us recap, for those who may be listening about PowerQuad for the first time in this episode, what's going on with PowerQuad and why is it gaining so much attention lately? So, you know,
1: paraquat is uh, can only be used by those who are licensed to use paraquat. Um, the reason I'm mentioning that specifically is because uh, a lot of people are, are comparing it or likening the lawsuit to Roundup, right? Because it is a uh, an herbicide. Um, the only the big difference beso- uh, besides the fact that it's only licensed people can use it, meaning there's not going to be like home based usage, right? Which Roundup did have. Um, it's going to be licensed people. It's also that it's a desiccant. So a desiccant in the agricultural community just means that it will also remove uh, essentially moisture from the plants, and they control the way the plants grow uh, using paraquat. In addition to using it as an herbicide, you know, to get rid of weeds and and things of that nature, um, to keep the plant growing at the rate that they want it to grow. And now. Paracoids have been used in the United States. I mean, for over 25 years. Uh, I believe the uh, the name that people are used to seeing is uh, Gramaxone, um, If I'm saying that correctly, uh, I know it's uh, pronunciation is a little odd for me. Uh, but in the last 25 years, it's increased its usage, uh, and this I pretty much came about uh, in 2009. It went up 200 percent the usage uh, because. Not actually because of the Roundup lawsuits or anything like that, it's because of the resistance that plants have had against glyphosate, which is what's in Roundup. So uh, because of that, and they also found that if they mix paraquat with some other uh, herbicides or uh, agricultural products, uh, they find that they can either make the plant grow faster or slower or basically grow it at the rate that they're looking for, for these particular crops, right? Um, So that's what Paraquat is. Uh, It's been banned outside of the United States um, by regulations uh, over the last, I mean, since 1980s, even as a matter of fact, it was banned in Sweden in 1983, Austria, 93, uh, most recently in the EU in 2007, um, and banned by uh, specific uh, companies like Dole, Shakita. Um, and the Fair Trade Organization
0: uh, because of its uh, effect on humans. And okay? all the while, while that, while that was happening and it was getting banned in other countries, the use here in the United States continued. Increased. All right, Grace. So you're saying there's well-documented evidence that while paraquat was being identified as uh, very dangerous, Pesticide, right? Is that the right category of it? Pesticide? Okay. As a very dangerous pesticide, the use of it here in the United States continues to increase. Now, where are we standing right now in the cycle of this becoming an actual mass tort?
1: So, as a matter of fact, it has become a mass tort. Recently uh, formed an MDL. Uh, multi-district litigation for those of you who don't know that term and that's when there's enough of essentially a critical mass of people claiming the same or similar issues because of the exposure to paraquat um so it just recently formed an MDL which is why I wanted to talk about it on this podcast because I know a lot of people have heard about it it's been around I mean forever I mean it's, it was just it was banned in the 80s so it has been around a long time but until recently uh, people became more aware about it mostly because of the at the recommendation of the chemical review committee um the paraquat is being recommended for listing in the uh what's called the Rotterdam Convention Annex by the Conference of Parties in 2021 so basically they were saying they wanted to ban paraquat um and so I, that's why now a lot more people, and it's also, it was re-reviewed by the uh, EPA. The EPA makes, doesn't make necessarily decisions per se um, as to whether it's going to be re-approved, but they do at the same time. So every 15 years, they look at these um, pesticides to see the impact on the human and the uh, what is it? How do do you say that? The wording for it would be like the human impact and then the environmental. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Yes. The environmental impact. Um, And then they look at that in aggregate over the last 15 years, and then they decide whether they want to re-approve it or not. So that's essentially what's going on with the initial part of Paraquat. That's what it is. And it has just recently formed an NDL. Now, I thought that it would be interesting for us to talk about the heat maps, right? Sort of like the digital marketing component and where are these clients going to be or potential clients live. Um, And obviously, you and I, we kind of happily geek out on locations of things and being able to target um, certain advertising and the way things are being done um, so that people, we capture the right people in the right location for this particular mass tour.
0: That's right, Grace. Yeah, it's always where it starts. The whole buildup of a campaign is trying to identify exactly who your target audience is, and geographical locations are massively important, particularly when it comes down to mass stores. Now, in this particular in- event, it sounds a little bit interest- interesting because there seems to be... A very likely opportunity to be able to narrow down things here to very specific geographical locations and industries because of what you said because it was only accessible to commercial for commercial use, and so do we actually know what industries, which companies, uh, used Paracord on their operations? is there some sort of database that can be accessed to identify this? Has this already been published?
1: So yes, because it is a required to have a license to apply it, you can find where it was sold, right? It's required by law for them to uh, register where they sell it. And the only caveat to that and it was part of the webinar that we were uh, I was on with Harris Martin as a matter of fact um, one of the attorneys um, mentioned that the only issue with that whole situation is there could be a third-party seller right that's selling mm. paraquat to the licensed person who's allowed to apply it but they're not a direct uh vendor or actual working with the manufacturer directly they're selling paraquat as a third-party distributor or third-party seller you know obviously with commission structures or whatever else to sell this pesticide so yes you require to have a license um but there may be some odd uh, caveats to that specifics but again there's one more caveat to that there's locations right yeah since you have to know where paraquat is sold there is a database you know, agriculturally, where they grow these specific crops. And it's specific. there are specific crops that they use paraquat for. And that includes corn, soybean, cotton, and um, I forget, I think there's two more uh, specific ones that they use it on. Um, and those are the types of crops that paraquat's used on, and they're only grown in specific locations around the United States right? So I don't know if you're looking at the heat map in front of you right now. I am,
0: Grace. Mm -hmm. I am looking at it. And it pretty, I'm, you know, a lot of times when we think about our uh, agriculture, we we tend to think also quite heavily about the uh, West Coast, right? Um, But it doesn't look like here Paraquad was a real hotspot there. Of course, there are, particularly in California, some areas that potentially could have had a lot of usage of that. But what I'm seeing here is tremendous use of it potentially in the Midwest, right?
1: I mean, you think about certain parts of the United States, like the breadbasket of America, right? The Midwest, that's where um, food is grown primarily Mm -hmm. in the United States because of the land that we have out there. Um, But you also have to think about the crops and where the crops are grown. And so some of the crops are grown out in California, which, you know, I think a lot of us don't think of California necessarily, like you said, as a growing per se community, because you some of us think of like, I live in a big city, right? I live in Miami. So I think of L.A. or I might think of San Francisco. I'm not thinking necessarily about the outer parts of the land that is available in California. And so, oh. yes, they do grow stuff and they use uh, Paraquat out in California.
0: Yeah, as we said, the Midwest, basically, it touches every single area I think what's interesting to see is the markets where it's probably not having an impact, right? That would be New Mexico, Colorado, Oregon, Nevada doesn't seem to have been affected by this, right? It's primarily the Midwest that it has like, it's obviously a heat map, right? So the very, very dark red are the spots where this pesticide has been used the most and yeah, I mean, you can you can tell there that up north Midwest is just like crazy, right? So, okay, Grace. So we know where paracord uh, has been used. I think we've mentioned uh, in previous a- episodes that um, one of the diseases that it has been associated with is Parkinson, correct? Correct. Has there been any other developments that lead us to believe that other type of diseases can be as a result or as a consequence of the exposure to paraquat?
1: So yes, and potentially no. At the moment, I have heard other firms getting involved on the uh, symptoms, right, that lead up to Parkinson's, but also one more uh, criteria, uh, potentially, and that is kidney failure or kidney disease. So I have seen that. Um, We are personally not looking at that specifically at this time. We are only looking at Parkinson's and one or more symptoms of Parkinson's. And those include things like tremors, slow movement, which is uh, bradykinesia, rigid muscles, uh, impaired posture and balance loss of automatic movements, and speech or writing changes, which are generally symptoms of Parkinson's. Um, so for us, those are the the two kind of specific things we're looking for. Parkinson's or Parkinson's-like symptoms. Um, but like you said, I mean, there are other firms, uh, and always, right, until we get closer to um, litigation and, and settlements of any kind, Um, where they'll know more about the criteria, meaning the specifics of the injuries, in this case, Parkinson's disease specifically.
0: I know we've been following up here in our agency, the search volumes of Parquat in terms of a lawsuit or lawyers for Parquat. And as we probably have mentioned in our last conversation in April, when we reviewed the most impactful mass torts for the first quarter of 2021, we've already identified back then increasing interest for Paraquad and lawsuits for Paraquad and lawyers for Paraquad. So Grace, I understand you are actively marketing for cases of Paraquad. Have you had what levels of success with these efforts?
1: So so I would say that you know, in terms of success, we are seeing some interesting different, um, things come across, right? Like in terms of the criteria stuff and in, in exposure, um, we are seeing that there's a few people, quite a few people that were exposed prior to 1966. And for those of you that are involved in any kind of mass tort, you know, that the difficulty in getting any kind of medical records for somebody that was, um, you know, diagnosed with something prior to a certain time frame, meaning 10 years or more, um, is, it can be a problem, but this one's a little unique, right? That if you have access to that proof of exposure, um, which, I mean, it, again, it's a licensed product, so you can prove your work, right? That you're, you were employed by somebody that you had to apply this paraquat for, um, and you can prove that you were, you had the proof of exposure. Parkinson's isn't one of those things that disappears, so you should be able to still get a hold of a doctor that diagnosed you or shows somewhere that you have the diagnosis of Parkinson's. And as long as you have that those two things, a diagnosis of Parkinson's and that you were, have proof that you were exposed to Paraquat, we found that that's been um, okay in terms of the marketing. But we did have to go through a little bit of slogging to realize that you know, there's obviously going to be people that have been using this for however many years. I mean, this thing's been out for a very long time. So when we started seeing the numbers or the years, like prior to 1966 exposure, we had to uh, close up the criteria just a little bit more to help determine how we can best help people.
0: Makes sense? Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. And in terms, and that's one thing, right? I mean, the qualifiers need to be revisited as the mastery is evolving. And as you are getting more details and information about your existing potential uh, clients on this, right? So that's um, another interesting point that it's worth always mentioning. Um, Depending on the master, sometimes your qualifiers are going to have to be modifying and adjusting as you're learning more. So Grace, now with everything we know so far, how hard is it to actually find this victims of Parquat? Is it really turning out to be a master that has uh, enough volume for many law firms to get on it, just like Roundup had? Or are we seeing here that it's a much harder or harder master to capture clients for?
1: It's definitely not as easy as Roundup right? Because everybody used Roundup. So when you start adding more requirements to the, uh, the mass tort, like in this case, you have to be a licensed uh, user. Um, you had to have had Parkinson's disease or diagnosed with one of the Parkinson's symptoms by a doctor. And it has to be this many years. Then it's, it's been a little bit hard, not, not easy and not, all the way hard. So I'd say we're doing pretty good once we adjusted some of those specifics that we just talked about, you know, um, years and medical records and understanding that as long as they have proof of use, we can keep moving forward with them as a potential client. Once we adjusted that, it started to pick up a little bit more. But the, the world of claimants is not huge. And I don't know how much a lot of these people are exactly aware yet, even though, right. Right? I mean, that's the biggest thing.
0: Well, that, that would have been my next question is like in your current campaigns, and I know a lot of it, you do it through lead generation. You are actually, um, doing awareness, uh, strategies in the potential areas where there is more likely for, people who are working in the fields and to, that are working in uh, particular industries that are using Parquad are getting exposure to this messaging and starting to build this awareness. And so is that still something where you are at or do you feel that the levels of awareness uh, have improved now to the point that, you know, more direct campaigns are actually starting to yield results? And by direct campaigns, I mean, you know, your traditional Facebook campaign is, have you been diagnosed Parkinson and have you used Parquat and the call to action? It's gotten better. Yeah.
1: It has, it's gotten better, but it's still not the amount, right? It's just because the pool of clients isn't there um, compared to Roundup. Like I, I keep using Roundup just because yeah. of the the type of, same type of uh, thing in that sense. Yeah. Um, so the pool of clients isn't quite there because you have to be licensed to apply it. Um, but, but... It the criteria did open up just a little bit to also those who live around those who apply it, meaning drift cases, yeah. because paraquat can move right, and it's 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 a spray, so it's being sprayed on something. Let's say in greenhouses, and people you know or buy those greenhouses, they have homes. Yeah. And they have neighboring farms that they might not use Paraquat, but they're exposed to it anyway. So it's a little bigger pool than just the Paraquat cases, but it's not as big as Roundup, let's say, because it's not
0: uh, home use. It's commercial. And I've seen a few videos, allegedly videos of the use of Paraquat, and it's not a little pesticide that you're going around with a little mister and spraying around the fields and the crops, this is shut out with hoses like if it was a fire truck trying to put out a fire. It's crazy the amount of solution that gets spread into the field is really significant, right? And so obviously, as you've said, it's not just limited to the people that are actually working the field. It could potentially be for those who are around. And that's why I say the awareness campaigns are so important because you start with a very broad message, generating awareness. If you live nearby, if you uh, know someone, if you feel that this or that has happened to you and you start presenting all different angles that put you in that consideration place, and then... Start the journey of educating them, right? After they clicked on that and they've started uh, reading about it, you present and you follow up with another message as to other things that have been found with regards to what have been consequences to some people that have been exposed to this, right? And at that point, maybe some people are considering going to get a diagnostic from the doctor. And so you're talking about people that may or family members that may not necessarily yet know or have identified. That uh, someone in their family that could have been exposed to the is showing uh, symptoms of Parkinson, and yet you need to try to help them solve the puzzle and understand that a piece, an important piece, could have been where they live, what what kind of work they do, and that sort of things. The one thing I did hear though is that paraquat is obviously likely to affect people that, as you've said are in direct contact with the uh, pesticide what you're saying here about who lives in the proximity of areas that are treated with it that's a f- uh, um, the first time i heard about that one but what i did heard that got completely dismissed is people who are consuming products um you know vegetables whatever that gets treated with that that's very 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 unlikely that there is no real way of making an association there. So no,
1: I've not heard that either. And uh the drift uh cases is what they're you know kind of being referred to internally. Um, those drift cases have a maximum uh sort of zone of 10 miles. Uh preferably yeah. obviously within a mile of the application areas, but generally they go up to 10 miles for those drift cases.
0: So thank you for the update on uh Mastort and on Parquad. And so, Grace, we're ready for your takeaways because I think you did share quite a bit here. And why don't we start with something regarding someone who is still in the verge considering I'm going to enter Parquat or not. What is the first takeaway for someone who is trying to decide if paracord is the right master for them to diversify into?
1: So the first consideration is, um, you know, do you have... The network or bandwidth to communicate with other people who are immediately involved in this um you know because obviously things change constantly and if you never done a mass tort first and foremost um, you know, there's a whole process that's involved in it. So, you know, reach out, talk to somebody, uh, reach out to, you know, somebody like, um, you know, Edward Lake, um, you know, reach out to even Liel or myself, like we're, we can give you some information at least to help get you started. Um, but if you're already involved in mass torts and you're just trying to de- decide if you want to get into paraquat or not, obviously look at the science look at the MDL, look at the information and talk to other law firms that are involved in it and are on the MDL or steering committees. Uh we can help you with that. Uh, obviously, you know, we've uh Ed of Edward, you know, Edward Lake has been involved over 25 years in mass torts, so that's kind of where a lot of my information comes from and I'm also involved in a lot of marketing and you know, advertising and information of that nature. So that to me would be like not I don't know if it's the first takeaway or my my first, this is what you should do if you want to get involved. But if you want to get involved and you've never been involved in mass towards, or this is something you're looking at, speak to other attorneys who are involved in it, because I mean, you need to know if this is something that's worthwhile or not.
0: Yeah, that's a great point, Grace. I think coming to a master's and particularly one like this one, that it's uh, very, very specific. It's still under development. It's still getting specified, right? What the qualifiers are and not. Um, the, the better your network is, if you can join a co council or you can actually um, join a law firm that's already uh, leading this, probably going to be more likely to have better results, right?
1: Exactly. Anything that you already know is either already down the line or something that not is brand new or formed an MDL like this has, you have a better chance.
0: All right, Grace, let's move on to takeaway number two, right? And let's make this one more kind of like a marketing takeaway. What would be your advice for someone who is trying to generate leads internally right now for quad based on what you've seen in In your campaigns, I haven't yet run campaigns for PowerQuad. And so while I could give potentially some high level recommendations, uh, I'm very interested in hearing, uh, based on your results, what would be your one tip to keep in mind as they're going after creating their own campaigns?
1: So the most important thing to keep in mind is know where your people are. That is what we talked about from the very beginning and we constantly talk about that. Understand the demographic that's involved in this particular mass tort. That's for everything you do, right? Any case type that you're involved in, even if it's an MVA versus a, you know, a standard PI practice, something that you're dealing with or something different, you need to know who you're supposed to be dealing with. So look at the heat maps and look at where these things are applied and then, then go out and say, okay, create your lookalike audience and create your audience in that type of um, social media campaigns um, will do work. Um, You know, as long as you understand what your qualifiers are and who your demographics are, you can use something like Facebook to do a nice little kind of campaign and just test it, test the market. You know, obviously don't start spending, you know, uh, $50,000 on a campaign that you've never done or you don't know the... uh, qualifiers and you haven't spoken to a lawyer about or other people in the network about. Um, but if you have and you're you're 100% sure you know this is the criteria I'm looking for and I'm going to run split A-B tests and I'm going to do social media campaigns or you know display advertising campaigns, they work. They sure do. You just got to constantly keep an eye on it and make sure you stay on the pulse of the criteria as it changes to the moment.
0: Those are very good points. And just going back to the heat map, grades that you're saying I you know, don't know, quite frankly, how accessible this type of information is for the average lawyer, right? And so one thing that I would recommend is uh, using Google Trends because Google Trends is a great way of identifying where there is uh, interest over a particular period of time for a particular search query, right? So if you were to do right now, and I've actually just did it as we uh, were talking about this, what has been the trend for in over the past 12 months? Uh, Some of the markets that have had the most interest in it has been Kansas, uh, Nebraska, Arkansas, Montana, and Idaho, right? And so these actually happen to be maps, uh, areas that some of them are on the deep red of where the heat map is showing us the usage of Paraquad was on 2017. So it's a great way to also validate whether the data that you have on a a heat map that is uh, a little bit outdated because 2017 is four years ago, right? uh, Can actually tell you about whether that's where the interest is right now whether that's where people are starting to search about it so there's some tools out there that you can use and the best part of it all is that Google Trends is 100% free so yeah make sure that you keep that in mind and use it and again trends you can use it for anything it doesn't just apply it's not just applicable for your masters you can use it for a ton of things this is one of the uses Brace, last takeaway. And let's make this one a mustards takeaway, right? Because I think maybe some people are not into mustards at all. And they just heard the entire episode and are wondering, why did I even heard this? Or what should I do now with this information? So what's a good takeaway?
1: I have a very good takeaway for that. As a matter of fact, a lot of people get referral cases. So if you happen to be in Idaho or one of those places and they come to you because you're personal injury attorney and they say, hey, I saw paraquat advertising on social media, but you're my lawyer, I know you, um, could you take my case? Guess what? You can and just refer it. You know what I'm saying? So I think that that to me would be the best takeaway if you're not in mass towards, you're not involved and you don't want to get involved, but you want to help your client because they came to you and said, I need help refer out the case. Don't, you know, don't drop it off. Don't, you know, get rid of it. This is something that you can help your clients if they're coming to you. It's because they trust you. Um, Reach out to those who are involved in the cases so that your client can get the best help possible for those that
0: are involved in it. Um, And who who would those be? So obviously, you know, you're getting a call. You are already busy with whatever it is that you are. And you want to find someone where you can refer this out, maybe, maybe potential, uh, potentially get some sort of referral fee, right? Um, if that's possible. So mm-hmm. who who should be reached out? What are like who do you call in those kind of in, in instances if you don't have someone in your direct network that is actually handling this particular case?
1: Definitely. I mean, you know, most lawyers like to work within the network that they know, right? You know, and most of us like to work with the people that we know, like and trust. So if you don't Mm -hmm. know any of the people that are dealing with Paraquat, reach out to us. We can ask you can ask us and we will help gear you in the right direction. Um, We've been involved in mass torts, you know, Ed has been involved in mass torts for over 25 years, as I constantly mention, And He has a network of hundreds of attorneys and many, many law firms that are all involved in different mass torts at every level, including himself. So um, reach out to In Camera Podcast, and we'll direct you, depending on the mass tort, to the right referral network. We can help with that.
0: That's right, Grace. Leaders of mass torts. So we'll make sure that we have the website on our episode notes, just to make it easier for you to reach out to them, whether it's for a referral or if you just want to get a little bit more of information as to how you can diversify through masters. So Grace, thank you so much. It's always fun to talk about different things. And this time we had an opportunity to revisit masters, which is a topic that we haven't discussed over the past three months. So I think it was a good idea to hear everything you had to share about this. We appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Leo. You know me, I like to geek out on this new stuff. So it's very interesting.
0: (laughs) Excellent, Grace. So let's be back next week with another episode. Have fun and be careful with those fireworks, Grace. Promise me.
1: I will, of course. And you too. You have fun.
0: Take care. Bye. Bye. If you like our show, make sure you subscribe, tell your co-workers, leave us a review and send us your questions at Ask at incamerapodcast.com. We'll see you next week.